Why don't we start with how you would describe your first co-op in five words? Uh, I guess exciting and terrifying machine learning. I'd say it was a wild and wacky startup life. Amazing. <laughs> Broke my arm. Damn. Okay. Hello and welcome back to Sessions by Essie. I'm your host, Robbie Zwang, and I'm in Essie 2022. So today, we're going to be chatting about our very first co-ops and how you can make the most out of yours. I went to shake Faridin's hand and then I just dropped my drink by accident. It was actually my very first work from home experience. Um, I was waking up at odd hours of the day. I was doing like maybe two hours of work. And it sucked. I felt like we made something that was pretty cool, but had to leave before it could be effectively produced. I were joined by three fantastic guests. Hi, I'm Amanda. For my first co-op, I worked at Perkin Elmer in Waterloo, and this term I was supposed to be working for DeepMind in London. Hey, I'm Shun. I did my first co-op at Hive AI in San Francisco. Hi, I'm Harry. For my first co-op, I worked at Riverpay in the SF Bay area. And for my first co-op, I worked at Shopify in Toronto, and currently, I'm interning at Facebook. Joining us for this segment, our first guest is Amanda Moore. For her 1B co-op in summer of 2018, Amanda worked at Perkin Elmer in Waterloo. The company was doing medical product research and development, and then my specific role was analyzing compounds using machine learning. So I think that when you get started on your first day, it's going to be really exciting, but also a little nerve-wracking. So I was super nervous before my first day. I remember the night before standing there being like, do I need to bring my own computer? I actually showed up with my own laptop because I wasn't 100% sure they would give me one. So I was really freaked out about what I was supposed to do, and I ended up dressing way too formally, sort of just being worried the whole time getting there. Uh, but then when I showed up, I got to work, and I met all the other co-op students. They gave us a sort of tour of the building. They ended up taking us out to lunch, and then basically the afternoon was just signing a whole bunch of documents and then starting to get to work on setting up my environment, which ended up being more of a task than I expected because I had never worked with Windows before. So it probably took me about 10 times as long as it has ever since then. One thing I was really surprised about was that they were hosting espresso lessons <laughs> because they had a huge espresso machine in the office. So what's something that you found really important for your first co-op and that you'd like to keep in mind? I think the biggest thing for me is remembering that they don't expect you to be a star programmer out of the gate and that you can ask as many questions as possible. It's really important to not feel like you need to know everything. Uh, my rule of thumb is always like, if I'm working on something and I haven't made any progress for half an hour, an hour, that's when it's maybe time to ask your manager, ask the person sitting beside you, and see if anybody else has sort of a thought on where to go. Some really simple things like setting up your IDE, uh, getting a specific model to work, seem really difficult when you're doing them for the first time. But for somebody who's run into that problem a million times, they might just be able to point you in the right direction with like half a second of their time. We were working with this legacy code, and there were about, I don't know, 500 different files, all of these different functions, none of it was documented. The biggest barrier was that we didn't have any communication with the people who had written the original code. We knew who they were, we knew that they were in London, but we didn't have their emails, and I never felt like I could just email them or talk to them. 
I had to go talk to my manager, wait three days for my manager to talk to them, wait three days for the meeting to get set up, and then ask them in a meeting. And then at the end on my evaluation, I was told that I should be reaching out to people more often. So it was sort of this wake-up call for me that, oh, wait a second, you can talk to people without having to go through this chain of command. Like most software companies aren't really militaristic in terms of having to go through the levels. Right, totally. I think I had the same, like, I was very nervous with reaching out to people. So to like, I always had to go through my mentor to be like, oh, do you know a person who I could talk to for this? And then it it took longer than it should have. But Mm -hmm. at least we've learned that it's totally okay. And it's definitely not a militaristic chain in command. Yeah. And I was always afraid to ask follow-up questions. Like I'd ask a question and then they'd give me an answer. And half the time I didn't really understand their answer, but I was afraid that I'd sound super stupid if I was like, what does that mean? So I just sort of write it down and then try to research it afterwards, which wasn't effective. Let's say you get started on a new project and you're trying to understand what's happening and gain context. So what are some questions you like to ask? So I think one of the really important questions is how does my specific team tie into other teams? So who are the other people who I'm going to need to talk to? And then when you really understand that, you know what pieces you have to build and what already exists. And then another good question is what the constraints are. So sometimes the manager thinks that you already know stuff, but you might not realize it. So they might think, okay, if a user clicks a button, they need to get the results instantaneously. Or they might be fine with them getting the results five seconds later. But you do need to know what constraints are on that in terms of time, power, resources. I've gotten advice from an upper year before. He was like, you should never work past five. Like, you should never work for more than eight hours a day. And I don't know, sometimes I did do that. Like, two co-ops ago, I worked really late before. And other, because I felt like I wasn't doing enough or something. And how do you feel about that? I don't love the past five rule because I feel like part of the reason that I've gotten good evaluations and my bosses have liked me and I've been able to do interesting things is because they see me working about as much as they're working. Hmm. So personally, what I've tried to do is I've tried to keep the same schedule as the majority of my coworkers slash boss. Like I don't, I'm not the last person in the office. I don't stay till eight or 9 PM, but I didn't leave at five. And most of the time I put in maybe a little bit more than the seven and a half or eight hours than they were saying that I was supposed to be putting in. Mm -hmm. Um, So I wouldn't suggest that people work too much, but I also don't think that's super fair to say that if you put in your time and do good work, that's all they look for. Mm. I felt like I got ridiculously lucky with my first co-op. So part of it was the atmosphere. It was a really small office. There were only about nine people and six of us were co-ops. So that made it a really fun, friendly atmosphere. Every day at lunch, we would play Avalon or go play ping pong or foosball. Uh, So that was super nice. I had a mentor who he scheduled like weekly one-on-ones. That was a structure of Shopify. It was like very therapeutic. We'd go into this room, which was the games room in our building. So like the PS3, like all the consoles were there, but it was also like one window where the skylight shines in. So we just go into that room and just chat for 30 minutes about how work was going, what our goals were, how life was going, not only for him to ask me how I was progressing, but for me to be able to ask him like how he was progressing, what he wanted in his career and what he wanted to do on the weekend or anything like that. One of my goals for this term that I wanted to work on is that I wanted to get to know my coworkers and I've never been really good at doing that before. But some things I've learned along the way is the first thing I like to keep in mind 
is that my chats with other people might not always be the most superb or amazing chats. Um, the second thing is that the worst thing that could happen when you ask someone for a chat is they're going to say no. And to realize that that's totally okay um, because people might just be busy or something. So what are your thoughts and advice on how to meet new coworkers? You can ask for coffee chats with other people in the office. So trying to make it sort of a short time, make it bounded by them. A lot of offices actually have the ability through some sort of a web service for you to like be matched with somebody else and then working it around their schedule. Uh, most of the time you're going to have an email address that links you to everybody else's calendar. So you could actually go up to somebody, take a look at their calendar and yours and say, hey, are you free at like three o'clock this time for us to go grab coffee? If you're feeling like you want to hang out with someone, like be the person who starts that. How was moving into Waterloo and staying there for the summer term? It was actually super strange to be in Waterloo but not going to class. It felt really lonely, uh -huh. even though I had one person there, because I was going from living in the city where I was going to class and seeing all of these people every day, mm -hmm. and I had my friends, I had my extracurricular activities, to being in an apartment with one person, going to work, mm -hmm. coming back, and that was kind of my day, mm -hmm. but I didn't really have any external activities other than that. So that I found to be a really weird transition for me. Okay, so you came home from work and you had all this time, mm -hmm. I assume. Like, what did you fill up your time with? Yeah, so I was one of those people who, like, didn't really end up producing anything with that time. So I kind of wished that I'd mm -hmm. created a side project or gone to the university and done activities. But really, I came home. I sat on the balcony in the sun and, like, would read a book sometimes. I had a couple walks that I liked to do. I'd cook uh -huh. sometimes a little bit of extravagant meals. But honestly, I watched a lot of Netflix. I hung out a lot. But I didn't really produce anything with that time, which is sort of my one regret of my co-op in Waterloo, because that's the one time when you have the ability to go and do these things, and I didn't really take advantage of that. I saw that you were, or before, before co-op got cancelled, but you were going to, like, a machine learning co-op. Yeah. The next one? So I was going to I was supposed to go to DeepMind, which is like Deep a Mind, yeah. affiliate of Google. I'm doing it next semester at least. Okay. That's awesome. For this segment, we're joined by Harry and Shun. So Shun and I were living together in Oakland because uh, I was on the East Bay and Shun was working in San Francisco. So we were kind of in the middle. For those of you who don't know, Oakland is a city located east of San Francisco, right across the bay. So Harry worked at a small startup called Riverpay on the East Bay, and Shun worked at another startup called Hive AI in San Francisco. So why don't we dive into a little bit about what your first co-ops were like, um, and why don't we get started with you, Shun? This kind of paints a picture of like Hive AI. This one time, like one of the other interns that I'm really good friends with, his name's Richard. His mentor basically came up to him and he was like, "Hey, um, we have this big project that's for like a very big client of ours, so NASCAR. We need to deliver this model by tomorrow." But the problem was that they didn't have enough labeled data or I guess car videos to create a believable demo. Uh -huh. So then they were like, "Okay, we have to like manually label a bunch of car frames." Okay. And the next day, I see at 4:50 a.m., Richard is still in the slack and he's like, yep, I'm still labeling NASCAR. <laughs> it's actually slave labor. Yeah, so that, that's how they it. But it was fun. What are some things you like to do to 
maximize your learning experience at work? I was working on this prototype that allowed people to pay using Bitcoin at the retail terminals that my company had. Okay. Pretty experimental. I don't think it was actually deployed. I knew I didn't just want to write PHP because it was a dying language. So all I had to do was just ask my mentor, hey, do you think I could spend some time learning Node.js and write this prototype in Node.js? And he just said yes. And I was surprised at how easy it was. Another thing that you want to do is you want to talk to other people on your team or on other teams and learn about what they're working on. If there's anything that sounds interesting to you, you can probably try to work on it and they'll probably let you because you're an intern. You just ask, hey, I think this team has some really cool stuff and it's something I really want to lear learn about. If you make a good pitch for yourself, your boss will be really friendly and they'll say, yeah, of course. Sometimes you might need to spend a little bit more time talking about it. But overall, if there's something that stands out to you, you, you got you to gotta be willing to ask, and oftentimes that'll pay off. I agree completely that you have to go out of your scope, and you, like, if you want to learn something, you have to kind of put yourself out there. Hive is mostly an ML company, so like every day I'd walk in the door, and then everyone would just be yelling about like, yeah, so use the ResNet YOLO v3 convolutional layer <laughs> on max expression, and I'd be right. sitting there like, like, I have no idea like what's going on. It's always like useful to actually learn about like what your company does and what like the things you're working on actually like do in like a more of like a big picture sort of thing. So like for me, that was just like going to a few of the ML engineers saying, hey, like you have some time to chat over lunch. Like tell me about your background. Tell me about what you're working on. I think that was something that really made me feel more like I belonged at the company rather than just like an intern that was working on a very specific project. Mm, gotcha. So let's talk about impact. So a common mindset that people have when jumping into co-op is that they should be as impactful as possible. They want their code to go into production. They want to impact millions of users. So how do you two achieve that? And do you think that that is the most important mindset to have while on co-op? Just like to point out that I think we've all had experiences where we go and we work on something like that we really enjoy at a co-op. And then all of a sudden at the end of the co-op, we have a friend or something that goes to the company that we've worked at and they say, oh yeah, by the way, they like scrapped all your code. That feels bad. Yeah, that happened to you and that also happened to Jason. It's probably going to yeah. happen to me. <laughs> Jason literally, Jason was like, I was like, oh yeah, how's high? And he's like, yeah, they scrapped all your code. And I'm like, yeah. yeah. And then when I went, they were like, oh, we scrapped most of Jason's code. And the part we kept, we just turned off because it's not useful right yeah. now. I remember when I, when I went back to Hive, to like visit you what would you, would you say you're like oh yeah i found like one line of code that was like oh yeah committed yeah. to your name and i was like damn <laughs> yeah anyways to kind of get out of that mindset i think that you should really not get too focused on having like the most impactful feature or the most long-lived project really as selfish as it sounds i think that a fulfilling co-op is one where you learn the most yeah, I definitely agree with that. The system I think a lot of successful companies use in order to maintain their code bases and their features is a system of assigning ownership of a certain feature to a specific engineer or a specific team. And if you're an intern, you're only there for four months. And because of that, you, you don't really have the scope to have ownership over a certain thing. Yeah, on the topic of ownership, I'd say like you need to write good documentation for any project that you don't want to be thrown in the garbage. Mm -hmm. So like for my first co-op, me and another intern, we spent like basically the last month of our co-op uh, building this really sick distributed training platform. And we made like a big presentation on how this would make training so much faster on like a few hundred GPUs. It ended up being thrown in the garbage anyways, even though it was something that was like objectively a pretty good project. I definitely, I definitely understand that feeling. 
Because you, you work really hard to, like, try to do good work, right? That was, like, a 10 hours a day, like, every day for a month kind of thing, too. Do you think that if you did somehow have the time to do that and document it, like, you'd feel like it would be better for you to keep it in? I think it'd be way better. Like, uh, for my like my previous co-op, it was kind of a similar situation where I kind of took the initiative to make this new, like, deployment framework. And, like, I think this time I took a lot more ownership. I wrote, like, really, really detailed docs. I wrote, like, a design doc. I gave kind of a technical presentation because I was like, I really want this feature to exist and not just be thrown in the garbage. So I'm going to, like... So I basically almost spent as much time developing the feature as I did, like, advocating for it. And I think that's, like, something you need to do as an intern if you really care about, like... A feature. All right, enough about your triumphs and your successes and the good things you've done at work. (laughs) Oh man, here we go. Why don't we talk about how you guys screwed up or if you guys had any big mistakes that you made at work? Honestly, for me, I think it was more a series of small mistakes that just wasted a ton of time and like it just made me embarrass myself, I think. There was a senior data scientist that I worked with. His name was Boe. And, you know, like every company has these kind of guys. They're super intelligent and accomplished. This guy's like a physics Olympiad, IMO medalist, international collegiate programming contest, like winner kind of guy. Pretty, pretty intimidating. And one day he asked me like, hey, this simple thing. Can you take this TensorFlow machine learning model and convert it to this other format that the rest of our infrastructure can use? And I was like, yeah, okay, cool. Like sounds, sounds pretty simple. And I just got back to my desk and I literally realized I had no idea like where to start. I like, I should have clarified, but being the stubborn person that I am, I was like, I really admire Boe. I really don't want him to think that I'm like dumb and incompetent. So I, I think I spent like a week just like Googling stuff, running scripts. Like, you know, when you write programs and like, you don't know what's broken. So you just change the numbers. Like you add one, you subtract one and hope that it works. And obviously, or like you recompile the program, which has the same code in hope that it'll run differently the second time. Okay. Eventually, like at the end, Bowie was like, hey, like, uh, do you have like this model again? And then I, I still had to ask him, like, how do you do this? He just gave me a script and he's like, oh yeah, you just like use a script and you run that. And I was like, wow, I could have saved like eight days worth of work if I just asked him for a script right. that took like uh, 10 uh-huh. minutes to run but now i know now you know how about you harry i just want to sorry i want to throw in like max at hive would constantly complain about boe because he was like <laughs> boe was really good at writing code that no one knew like what it was supposed to do and like yeah, no one relatable. could possibly read and like after he left like we just had no idea he's a bash script master yeah this guy had so many scripts. Like, we were getting rid of them like, <laughs> just, every single week. How do you do this? Just sends me a script on Slack and says, run this. <laughs> I'm like, okay. <laughs> so my company is, like, a really small company. Uh, it was just four engineers at our office, including me and another intern. So basically two full-time engineers in that office. And so when we wanted to deploy something, we'd go straight to the CTO. And he would SSH into each one of the three, like, Linux machines on AWS, and he would just git pull to deploy like our stuff basically. Uh-huh. And so uh, there's one thing I was working on, which was like an invoicing endpoint for our microservice. And this thing is very simple. You hit the endpoint with some parameters, and it would give you a QR code back. And so I, I worked on mm-hmm. it for a while, and I got it working. But then in the pull request, the CTO re- requested like some changes. And so I made them. They're really minor changes. 
And I was like, okay, it's ready to deploy. And so I walked over to his desk and he merged it. I think in order to back it up, he basically just CP'd the entire directory. Uh, like okay. it wasn't anything fancy. He literally just copied the old, old Git directory. So I started in May, right? Apparently they started using Git in February before I joined. Uh -huh. Before that, they were literally just sending the whole repo of code over Slack. That's crazy. Yeah. It was like, it was a very young company. Anyway, so this guy would deploy, just git pull on each one of the three boxes. And he was like, okay, we're going to test it. So he went to the URL and nothing showed up. <laughs> and he was, and I was like, oh my God, what did I screw up? Like, it must've been like the changes I added in the PR, right? Uh -huh. And so I went back, I fixed it. It was like a super easy bug to fix, but it was kind of embarrassing that that was the one thing that I was supposed to do. And I was watching the CTO go to the URL, not sure if it was going to work because I didn't test it right before I merged the PR. <laughs> oh no. And it didn't work, obviously, because when you don't test code, it doesn't work. And I had to go back, redo it. And this guy had to like roll back the changes by like overwriting the directory in Linux, in the Linux VM. Um, and after that, I just realized, okay, every time I make a single change, when I, when I get like a PR comment or something, you got to test it. You got to test it. That's crazy. Well, Harry, it sounds like you didn't get fired for doing that, for making that mistake. Yeah, didn't get fired. It's actually, I, I think a lot of people joke about this. Like a lot of people, they start their internships and they're like, oh, I hope I don't get fired. But really like interns basically never get fired. Mm -hmm. If you're especially a first co-op, no one has any expectations for what you're supposed to do. If you screw everything up, if you don't do anything by the end of your internship, except for like work on like a side uh, pet project of like the companies, you've done a good job. And it's very rare for them to fire. Once you like know that, it becomes a lot easier to ask people. Like you don't have to pretend that you like know anything because mm -hmm. nobody expects you to like, know anything. It's a liberating thing, honestly, to be an intern because you can just go to work, spend a lot, a lot of time like chatting with random people and just say you're learning about the company. So being on co-op also gives you a lot more freedom and a whole lot of time. But being away from your friends and your family and living kind of on your own could be really challenging. So how do you guys take care of yourself both mentally and physically and what are some things that you've done? I think that maintaining a routine is really important and you'll hear this again and again, but I experienced firsthand during first co-op what it was like to break my routine. So before before I broke my arm, I had a good routine. I was waking up at 7.30 every morning, exercising in the morning by biking to work. On the subway, I would do my, or I was doing my machine learning course online and I would also meditate. On the way back, I was also biking and exercising. I'd get home, I would work on my business and projects for a little bit of time, and then I'd go to sleep probably 11 p.m., which is very early for me even now. But that was my routine, and I think it really helped me stay healthy. When I broke my arm uh, and I had to go home, that completely fell apart. And it wasn't until I got back to school when I had that routine again, when I was able to see my friends again, that I realized what I was in was not normal at all. I really felt down and depressed. And thankfully, I was able to get out of that with a big change uh, to school. And I think that's actually something I've been able to take advantage of. And I think a lot of people should take advantage of is when you're transitioning from school to co-op or from co-op back to school, you have a big change in your routine and how your life is structured, how your day is structured. 
that could be a time when everything falls apart, or it could be a time when you start building up new habits. Mm, okay. To backtrack a little bit, could you actually tell us a little more about how you broke your arm and how you felt after that? I mean, everything was going great. Everything was everything was amazing. But then one day in July, for no reason whatsoever, I was just really bad at biking, and uh, I felt really hard on my elbow, and it was like it was hurting a lot. And after like five minutes, the pain was not going away, and I started to get worried because I thought maybe my arm was broken. This was America, right? So I, I couldn't take an ambulance, or I, I couldn't call nine one one, or else no matter how many internships I worked, I wouldn't be able to pay it off. So I took an Uber to the hospital, and after like three x-rays, the doctor walked over to me, and his face was, it wasn't good news. And he said, your, your elbow's broken, and you're going to need surgery. But I couldn't get surgery, right? Because I, I, it was America. I think about five days later, I flew back to Canada. I uh, started working from home, and it really sucked because I was having such a good time in Oakland with Sean and Max and you guys. It, like life was great, right? And suddenly like I wasn't seeing anyone at home. I was like waking up at like odd hours of the day and not really feeling like I was up to work because like my fingers hurt when I typed. And I could like, I could kind of code if I like slung my elbow over the table in a weird way or if I just typed with my right hand. It was actually my very first work from home experience and it sucked. Um, I was eating maybe like half the amount of calories I normally ate. I think I lost about 15 to 20 pounds during that time. I couldn't really exercise because it was hard for me to move around with my arm broken. I started sleeping later and later and I really felt the effects of that because um, I really just felt down every day. I didn't feel like I had energy to do anything. It wasn't until I got back to school um, and I started like seeing my friends again, started like getting back into a routine. My arm started getting better. I could start playing sports and going back to doing the stuff I really liked that I realized, wow, I was like kind of depressed during that time. Um, it really, it really like dragged me down mentally. What are some things that you two like to do to prepare for your future co-ops and your future career? On the more concrete side, I think nowadays more than ever, you need to apply to co-op early. It's it's this really annoying phenomenon. A few years ago, um, there was this Jane Street blog post called The Unraveling of the Tech Hiring Market. And it's pretty interesting and it's a little bit too accurate. It basically talks about how companies are hiring earlier and earlier and it's like an arms race to hire interns because like if you hire an intern before all the other companies start their hiring process then you get like all the best talent even for me like during my first co-op i started applying like halfway through the co-op for the, the coming co-op and like i'd say almost like 50 percent of companies were like closing their applications or had already closed their applications so it really like sucks that the situation is like this but if you want to apply externally like you need to update your resume basically like the week after you start working and you need to start like applying mm -hmm. to jobs right like right then oh man i gotta start applying for winter co-op <laughs> me too oh my <laughs> gosh yeah same in resume critiques oftentimes like you'll hear i did x 
using Y and I accomplished Z, right? So the Z is usually a statistic. You want to say you increased like click-through rate by 50%. You reduced build times by 20%. You want a specific statistic that goes with that. And most people just seem to guess because they forget to collect statistics. But one thing that you can do on your last day or just like within your last week, so you have some buffer time, is you want to be able to collect that statistic. Go over some of the work that you've done during the co-op term and record how fast or how, how much of a speed improvement it's been. Record how many impressions there were before you made a certain change versus after you made a certain change. After you finish like a certain task, if there is something you can record for it, you should. Spend the extra 30 minutes to, to collect that data so you have something quantifiable to put in like the task description or the PR, right? That way you're not only collecting that for your own future to put on your own resume, but you're showing your mentor and your manager and your team that what you've accomplished here is something tangible and quantifiable. Reduce production uptime by 10%. <laughs> One thing I really like to do is I like to visit my friends who are working at other companies in the same spot. So if you're in Toronto, there's a lot of companies in Toronto. If you're in Waterloo, there's a lot of companies in Waterloo. If you're in San Francisco, there's a lot of companies in San Francisco. I don't really have a ulterior motive for going to visit people other than just like having fun, right? And taking some free food. But I think that the, the people you can encounter at different companies during your co-op term, um, just organically could be valuable in the future. Like maybe you meet like your friend's mentor at their workplace and you think, oh, wow, this would be a really cool place for me to work my next co-op term. And you already have an introduction through your friend uh, and you've met like the person who might be your, your mentor or your boss. Um, I wouldn't really call it like networking. I'd just say, in general, like the more people you meet, the more um, opportunities you'll know about and you'll be able to pursue. Ah, gotcha. Well, thank you two so much for being on this part of the podcast. Co-op is not all about the work, and as you'll soon find out, you'll have loads of time on your hands. For this segment, we're going to welcome back Amanda, Harry, and Shun. What was a fun memory you had of your time in or out of office? Oh, I have lots of happy memories, actually. My coworkers, we all, we're all like big League of Legends fans, so we all like played League of Legends together. And one day, we're like, hey, do you want to go to LA to go see this professional league game? And we're like, this, this weekend, we're just like, all right, let's like fly to LA. Some of my best memories from the office were actually our lunches because at our office we would take basically the full hour, sometimes a little bit more. Uh, I'd say don't tell our manager, but he was there with us most of the time. And we would just play board games. We'd go uh, sneak into the tannery and use their foosball table and ping pong table. And it was just a really nice way to chat about other things than work. Oh, that's awesome. We also had that type of board games every day until our manager told us, guys, you're taking a little too long at lunch. Yeah. That's all right. Yeah, that happened about two and a half months in. Oh, okay. (laughs) There were a lot of opportunities at work to join running clubs, sports clubs, and also places in the town and the city like 
drop in badminton, and also you could get yourself some equipment. So I, in my first co-op, got my own skateboard, and that was just a really nice feeling to be able to go anywhere around the town, the city, and also get that exercise in. I thought that was really helpful. Yeah. On the subject of exercise, I was living in Waterloo for a summer term, which means really cheap rent wherever you go. So I used that to get a place with a really nice gym. And since I was living with a friend of mine, I had somebody to keep me honest, or in my case, somebody to drag me to the gym every day. Yeah, I think having a gym buddy is just so like it's just so much better. In first year, before I started co-op, I didn't eat a lot, and I was like sleeping at really like odd times. And then when I started co-op, I remember the first time Max was like, "Hey, you want to go to the gym?" And I was like, "Yeah, sure, whatever." And ever since that day, I basically, for some reason, like maybe it was like it's like as Harry said, like the big change. I just started going to the gym every day. Like it felt like I was being productive, so I didn't feel as guilty when I was like going to have fun. I felt like physically better. I was more sleepy at night. Just that one habit made everything else in my life so much better and so much like more enjoyable. I guess the biggest thing about my experience that was novel was I lived in Chinatown. But the thing about Chinatown is you just live right beside all the supermarkets and everything. So if you want to cook something, you walk out, you turn the corner, you have a grocery store with all these fresh ingredients, and you just take whatever you want for dinner, and you just bring it home and you cook it. And it was like one of the coolest city experiences I've ever had. There was a lot of really good restaurants too, and I didn't get to explore all of them, but there was some pretty good dim sum. Actually, so Shun and I, like our house was right beside Oakland Chinatown. Like there'd be the grocery stores, but then there'd be like like Asian grandmas like selling、mm. vegetables、oh. like on the street. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, so beside like Lake Merritt Station, which was the station I always took the BART from,、um, I'd、uh-huh. always pass by like twenty Chinese grandmas like stationed in a perfect grid. Um, <laughs> doing tai chi in the morning. That's cool. <laughs> When I got to shake hands with Farida, that was a fun memory. It was like a Waterloo alumni event. He was just kind of there to be an ambassador from Waterloo, and it was happy hour at Wish. Shun was there actually. I was. I took the picture. I saw Shun holding a drink. Oh boy! No, I remember. I I went to shake Farida's hand, and then I just dropped my drink by accident, and it like <laughs> shattered on the ground. And then I was like, "Oh man, like this is a disaster." And then like I, I was like, "Okay, let me let me just like like push this into a corner and like put a chair over it so nobody steps on it." And then by the time I like got back up, he, he went to go shake someone else's hand. So in the end, I didn't even get to shake his hand. Oh no. Do you still keep in contact with anyone from first co-op?、Um, at my previous co-ops, I've been lucky enough that. My mentors and my managers and my coworkers have been really friendly and just pretty laid back. And so, one thing that I did previous co-op was I would just go to my old office and I would just say hi to all the people I used to work with, and some of them would recognize me, and that was just nice. Like just dropping in, kind of keeping in touch,、uh, not really speaking professionally or anything.、Uh, one thing I also did was when I saw memes about my old company. Um, I would just send them to my mentor, like on LinkedIn or something, and he would send like a reaction. Just like the small things that keep you in touch. So keeping it casual. I think keeping it casual is pretty important. I think like it's it's really like obviously awkward if like for example there's like a mentor that you had where you like you like them but your relationship was really professional and like you're just keeping up with them just because like you think you might need like a reference from from them or something like that. Like I feel like that's really that's really fake to just try to like like network with someone just because you think that they'll be like useful to you in the future.
Yeah, I definitely agree with the not being disingenuous part. You got to just like kind of talk to them as a person, right? Even your mentors, your managers, whoever you're working with. Usually if if you're an intern and you want to learn about some other part of the system that's not really related to your job, people are really happy to help you. If you're a full-time employee and you're just hitting up some random other full-time employee at your company, usually people are less inclined. I actually love using the intern excuse to just be like, hi, I'm the new intern. I don't know anything. Can you like show me around? And like people love being like the helpful, like older employee. So to me, once I leave the job, my coworkers or like my fellow interns, they're, they're just my friends. If I'm in the same city, I'll see if they want to get lunch, uh, especially for smaller companies like Hive. Um, what I like to do is like to hit up my old coworkers when they come to Waterloo to do their employer info sessions. So then I can like be there, support them, hang out with them after. Treat your past coworkers as you would your friends. Okay. And with that, thank you all for being on the show. And thank you, listener, for tuning in. On behalf of the podcast team, we really hope that this episode helps you even a little in navigating your first co-op. From our great successes to even our bigger failures, we hope you learn from the advice that we have to offer. Co-op is meant to be intriguing, educational, scary, and everything in between. It's new grounds for discovery, and we're so glad that we got to be a little part of your co-op journey. And as always, thanks for tuning in to Sessions by SE, and see you in the next one.